right, guys. Welcome, everyone. Hello. To our uh, Fake Nerd Podcast uh, interview special. We finally got him back, Mark Guggenheim. We had to get him stuck in his house so that we could get him on the phone. <laughs> it helps that he kind of didn't have an excuse. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. No, but we were really grateful. We got him We got him on for a lot longer than we, we anticipated. Uh, we got a lot of great stuff out of him. We did have a very good conversation. Time. And I'll say real quick before we you dive into it, if you want to hear more about Brandon, myself, or Ben and Ryan, who are not on this interview with us, uh, our thoughts on the crisis on Infinite Earths uh, that we are largely discussing with Mark Guggenheim, you can check that out on our YouTube page, there's a Fake Nerds Watch special for um, two parts. parts uh, yeah. Well, all five episodes, but yeah. two parts of uh, The Christ on Infinite Earth. So, uh, but otherwise, we're here to discuss all the details about Arrow and the finale and Christ on Infinite Earth and a couple of things in between. Yeah. Uh, so this was a lot of fun, so I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, so Sparks and I talking to Mark Guggenheim. Yeah, this is... Uh, you know, it's funny. This, this feels even, this feels uh, even different. Uh, to me, uh, I think in large part because there was still, believe it or not, there was still uh, production going on, and albeit limited production. Sure. Um, so this is a total shutdown, you know. Um, right. So it's it's weird. Uh, it's it's really 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 weird. Um, yeah, I I don't I don't know. You know, look, I think everything will eventually return to normal because that's the way things always go. Of course. You know, I feel bad for like shows like Supernatural that, quite frankly, or, you know, they were just supposed to finish their their series finale. It's like, I don't know what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you got me. It's it's weird. Right. I can imagine. All right. uh, Whenever you're ready. Yeah. Why don't we. uh, So I'm going to introduce you and then we'll just get going. Okay. Love it. Okay. All right, we're excited to be joined. Sparks and I are excited to be joined by Mark Guggenheim, producer, executive producer, showrunner, and now director of Legends of Tomorrow. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh, scary. Scary. You just reminded me. I haven't thought about that in a while. That's uh, my first question for you. How was it like directing Legends of Tomorrow? I had the best time. Uh, it, it was it was really, really terrific. It was weird because I... I came on, you know, to direct. I picked the slot that was as far away from the crossover as I could get. Right. Um, and what that meant was I actually was able to focus on directing, which was good. The problem was I was literally coming to it, you know, just off of post-production. In fact, I was still reviewing some visual effects shots uh, into even into the new year while I was directing. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I was coming into it about as burnt out as I've ever been, but uh, and I, I don't think this is going to make any sense to anybody because it barely makes sense to me. But I, despite being really burnt out, I actually found the whole experience to be really rejuvenating. Um, it was great to exercise some different muscles and work some different parts of my brain, and uh, I just had the best time. And they, they gave me a really fun episode. It's. Uh, it, it's an, it was an 87 scene script with, uh, you know, four different television shows. Um, and it was, it was total madness and, uh, I could not have had a better time. That's excellent. And uh, the, the cast and crew pushed you to direct it, like encouraged you to direct, to direct it. Uh, actually it was Greg Berlanti. Um, oh, it was about a year ago, about last January, um, when, you know, we were talking and I was, I was experiencing what I would describe a, as a, creative malaise 
Um, and I was feeling just a little bit sort of, you know, at sea in terms of, you know, what the next steps were going to be for me. And he said that uh, you should do something that terrifies you. And I said, yes, but that's, you know, directing is whatever is beyond terrifying me. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, it was it was his idea. And when when he said it to me, the idea just sort of caught purchase in my brain. And I found myself thinking more and more about it. And I thought, you know what? Um, He's right. Like if I if I'm going to try something like this, uh, now is actually a good time. And uh, I'm really glad he pushed me. That's really awesome. Yeah. Uh, How did it feel just kind of being being where Legends of Tomorrow is at now as a show is just such a different beast from when the first season was done. How did it feel stepping mm-hmm. uh, into that that totally new space? Well, I mean, I, I it probably would have been very jarring if uh, I had stopped being involved with the show in season one when the show is not just a different show creatively, but just production-wise. Sure, sure. The feeling on the set is incredibly different. But, you know... I I stepped down as showrunner at the end of season four. Um, You know, I was still consulting on the show and involved with the show because of the crossover in seasons five and six. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sorry, wait, stepped out. Wait, I stepped out at the end of season three. I got you. And I can't even keep track anymore. Um, So I, I, long story short, I feel like I've been, you know, involved enough with the show that it's not like it's a whole bunch of different people. And not even like the show is that tonally different from where it was by the end of season three mm-hmm. um you know if anything yes it's gotten zanier but uh it was it was still we were doing some pretty zany stuff by the end of season three so it wasn't that big of a leap for me. absolutely that's cool um well, we are here to talk about uh, about uh, the major crossover that happened this past year and arrow and but i wanted to actually talk about arrow real quick uh it ended this year how what are your thoughts on just it ending after eight seasons you know, um, it's funny. I always, a lot of people ask me this, both on the record and off the record, and people I know and people I, I don't know. And I, I always feel like I'm giving the wrong answer, but I, I you know, I'm going to stick with it because it happens to be the truth. It, it just feels really good. Um, yeah. Because the thing is, it, every show has to end at some point, mm-hmm. uh, you know, except for The Simpsons. And I, I always knew Arrow would have to end, and I could not have scripted literally or figuratively a better ending for it um you know we went out um you know with the people still talking about the show people weren't going like oh that show's still on the air Mm -hmm. uh we we ended with this massive crossover and you know a a potential spinoff and a, a series finale that i was very proud of um you know i i think had we continued on um we wouldn't necessarily have been able to end uh, as, as solidly as we did. So uh, I, I really have no regrets. Um, and I'm, I'm just glad that we were able to stick the landing. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, you know, it must be intimidating because this show not only is, uh, you know, it's not only been going on for eight seasons, but it also led to this entire Arrowverse. Uh, so well, to think- end it, isn't, isn't, I would imagine it would be intimidating. I actually, well, it, it was definitely intimidating insofar as, you know, the annals of television history are are replete with shows that didn't stick the landing. Uh, and I was terribly afraid of not sticking the landing, particularly since, you know, we we had an un, we had dealt ourselves an unconventional hand in so far as Oliver died in Crisis on Infinite Earth. So 
to end the show two episodes after your protagonist is dead, that, you know, that, that creates a very unique problem. Um, that being said, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't intimidated uh, by the fact that the rest of the universe uh, existed because actually that turned out to be the thing that was sort of our saving grace, which is, yes, Arrow is ending, but the Arrowverse is continuing. And uh, as consolation prizes go, I'd say that that's a pretty good one. Sure. Um, so so just focusing on the you wrote the Arrow finale with uh, Beth Schwartz, correct? That's right. That's right. Uh, so what uh what was difficult about needing to going into that knowing that you had to recontextualize the people's history now post crisis cuz like obviously uh Oliver's mom is back uh, a few other mm-hmm. characters are are now alive yeah. uh, what was like the process of going through that uh well i would say it, it was it was actually a very easy process uh the you know the the finale really wrote itself like butter and i think that's in due in large part to the fact that we had so much time to think about it. I think, you know, it's, it's safe to say we were thinking about the series finale for about a year. Um, and Beth and I would just, we would just periodically like exchange texts or, or, you know, find each other in each other's offices and just throw out ideas. And, you know, we, we knew a lot. We, we, you know, we knew that Oliver was dying in crisis. We knew that this would be more of a coda than a, uh, you know, than a climax we knew that we wanted to bring back uh, a lot of characters from Oliver's past. We, mm-hmm. we knew a lot of pieces. I, I think the piece that sort of came together the latest or, or last was what I call sort of the, uh, the unifying principle of, of the finale. Um, we, we sort of had all these disparate elements, but we didn't have what I would call a central theme. Um, and it wasn't until we were in the editing room and we were listening to the saga cell for the upteenth gajillionth time um, that uh, it, it dawned on me that, oh, wait a second, you know, the show is all about Oliver returning home to save the city. He says that almost every episode. And uh, it occurred to me that with Crisis, we had the opportunity for Oliver's mission to finally be finished, to finally be complete. That, you know, by by restarting the universe, uh, he was able to save to save the city. And once we had that, it, it really, you know, just it was the last piece of the puzzle and it tied everything together. And it took all these disparate pieces that we had and gave them a common umbrella. Uh, and a common language to talk about. Um, and once we had that, it was, it was a piece of cake. I want to say, like, I think I wrote my scenes for the finale in, like, two days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it really wrote incredibly fast. Um, and and truth be told, didn't even change all that much once uh, it was written. You know, um, it, was, it was very, it, it really turned out, exactly the way we had designed it you know when I, when I say like Beth and I have been talking about it for a year um obviously we didn't have as clear a picture you know a year before as we did once we finished writing it but um I would say that the you know that there were no audibles there were no crazy you know left turns it really was you know the the type of pilot the type of finale that we had been talking about the whole time and that was that was very gratifying you know, I was. It's interesting. You said something that you know, uh, by saving, by like restarting the universe, he was able to save a city. How crazy of a journey it is that this guy with a bow and arrow restarted the whole universe. Yeah, it 
it, it's particularly crazy when you think about just where we plan for the show to go right at the very beginning. Um, you know, we, we never, I've always been very honest about the fact that we, we always said that the show would not have superpowers and not have time travel and not have alternate realities. And, you know, we ended up doing all that stuff. And it, it just goes to show that when you have a long running show, um, you can have all the plans in the world, but you, you know, you don't necessarily have to stick with them. And I think quite frankly, our two, greatest uh assets as we were working on the show for eight years was was and they, they sound contradictory but um it was our our discipline in terms of planning things um you know we would plan out entire seasons at the beginning of each season while at the same time having the giving ourselves the freedom um, to deviate from those plans when a better idea came along. So it, it was always a, a combination of, of discipline and confidence, because I think you have to have a certain amount of confidence to be able to, you know, jettison your plan um, and a certain amount of confidence to deviate from your plan when you realize, okay, there's a better idea here. Right. Uh, I, I can totally picture that. With uh, bringing up how plans changed and evolved over time, was there uh, something that you personally always pictured as uh, part of the Arrow finale that that you know that we never saw? Something that like way back in the earlier seasons, you know, you, you always thought, oh, this is going to be part of the ending. Uh, even specifically, like what the last shot might be. Um, I'll tell you the way I originally planned on it ending, and you'll sort of see how it, how this is different and why it's different. Um, I, I always saw the show ending with Oliver's death. Um, but the Oliver's death in the actual finale. And then I kind of had a, you know, a, a little bit of a fantasy that we would, you know, Oliver would die and, and you'd end with some sort of news broadcast talking about his legacy. And that would sort of become voiceover. And then you would go to this rooftop um, in a whole other city and like on the cut, a like a thug or some bad guy would like sort of crash into the frame, having been punched off screen. And these pair of black boots would come, you know, down like right in front of him. And there'd be a flutter of a scalloped cape. Um, and you would basically the voiceover would say something along the lines of, you know, Oliver Queen inspired a whole new generation of vigilantes uh and the implication of course being that he inspired batman sure um so uh that of course didn't happen for a variety of different reasons not the <laughs> least of which is uh batwoman came along mm -hmm. uh but that that was you know that was my original original you know conception you know you talked last time a couple of years ago you talked about how um you just kind of chip away at 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 the brass to to allow them to use different elements, uh, Barry Allen or uh, other characters, uh, Superman, Supergirl, like you know all those characters, uh, Batwoman, but not Batman. Like how when when how did that come about? Since you bring it up, you know, I, I'll tell you, it's uh, you know, it, it's it's conversations that happen actually way above my head. Um, oh, I see, and. You know, in some cases, they even happen above above Greg's head. Um, it, it's these are these are a series of conversations. I don't want to call them negotiations, but you know, there's certainly a certain amount of diplomacy involved, where you've got people on the DC publishing side, Warner Brothers theatrical, 
and Warner Brothers Television. And all these people, you know, uh, are, are having these ongoing conversations about, you know, which characters should be, you know, uh, adapted in which mediums and by who and everything. And, um, you know, that woman was, it, it was just a character that, that had come up. I think, you know, the CW had asked for another Arrowverse show and, um, there were two characters that, uh, were, were basically in play and Batwoman was one of them. Oh, I see. Gotcha. You can't tell us what the other one is, right? No, of course not. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, is staying, staying on the Arrow finale for the moment, um, what, uh, was your favorite moment from the finale? What were you really uh, proud to be able to have fit in? And, and tied to that, is there any person or moment that you, you, like that's the top of your list of what could have been in there, but just didn't make the cut. Okay. Well, let's see. Um, uh, well, I want to say my cameo, but that's not true. Uh, <laughs> though I do think my cameo is, is a high point. Um, I would say from a writing perspective, I was very proud of Diggle's eulogy. Mm. Um, that was, that was a tricky thing to write. And, uh, that you know that that took a while to to dial in um because it's it's not just this emotional farewell from you know oliver's brother but it's also you know sort of it's my final statement about the show itself in many ways sure um i was uh i was very excited relieved glad (laughs) rewarded uh, by the fact that we were able to give Diggle his moment uh, with the uh, the green box, as it were. Um, <laughs> I, I, I cannot confirm or deny the content of said box. Um, but that was, you know, that was a big deal uh, to get in there. Right. Um, you know, it, there were a variety of different actors from uh, the life of the show that we who we wanted to see return for the finale. Um, and we simply couldn't manage it because um, it, it's funny. No one turned us down. Um, every person who we approached who wasn't in the finale um, uh, was doing either another television show, ironically, uh, or a movie. Uh, and even, by the way, even people uh, doing television shows, uh, it was tricky to get them. For example, uh, Katrina Law is a series regular on Hawaii Five-0, and that production moved heaven and earth uh, for her to be part of Oliver's funeral, which the, the scheduling was so tight on that. We actually shot the first half of the funeral without Katrina. Uh, Katrina was headed from the airport to hair and makeup while we were shooting half that scene. Um, and even Melissa and Grant's involvement uh, was really, really challenging from a scheduling perspective because they, of course, have their own shows as well. Um, so we, you know, we, we pulled off as many miracles as we could. Sure. Um, I would say, I think we ended up, um, we ended up pulling off more miracles than I expected. And I, I really have to give props to, uh, Beth Schwartz. Um, you know, by the time crisis was done, I, I was so burnt out and I was particularly burnt out, um, on, on the, uh, subject of, dealing with actor schedules and dealing with agents and managers and um, trying, you know, every single one of the cameos and guest stars uh, 
in crisis, uh, you know, involved at least several phone calls uh, on my part alone. On my part alone, and I was, I was so tired. Um, so Beth really stepped up to the plate and did all that diplomacy. There's a lot of diplomatic work that goes into these sorts of things, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, she she carried uh, she carried the uh, water when I was way too uh, tired to do so. Got you. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I think that it, it really pulled off really well. I think that, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, Diggle's eulogy really does put the, the proper button on the entire show. Uh, I thought that came off really well. So I, I want to commend you on that. I think that was really great. Uh, I also really want to commend you on, uh, being able to have Barry and Kara at the personal funeral. I thought that created a really important moment. The fact that they were also present, um, I'm really glad that 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 pulled off. Me, me too. And actually, kudos to to Grant and Melissa, uh, both of whom had very full days. Um, who you know, it's it's not easy running from production to production, mm-hmm. uh, particularly when you're number one on the call sheet. So um, they and and you know, I, you know, truth be told, it's like I, I can tell you that they didn't do it for the money. Um, they they did it because they knew and understood and appreciated. Uh, the importance that Oliver has to their shows and how important their shows are to Arrow. Um, so it's one of those, you know, it's one of those things where you, you know, you really need, it takes a village. Uh, you need the help and cooperation of a lot of people who are not producers uh, to make, you know, moments like that happen. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm very, very grateful to them. Yes, absolutely. It played off really well. Uh, I definitely think that uh, I know a lot of fans feel this way. I certainly felt this way, that the number one that, that I desperately wanted to show up in the finale was probably Colin Salmon to come back as Walter Steele. You know, actually, not, me too, believe it or not. And actually, Colin and I, we had a really nice uh, exchange of DMs over Twitter afterwards. Um, you know, he was busy uh, working on another project. Um, and he, he just was so, such a kind man. He reached out to say how much he wanted to be a part of it. And um, we were able to, you know, just sort of catch up. And um, it, it was really nice. That, that one was tough. I really wanted, uh, I, I really want Colin in particular because he's so synonymous with the first season of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I feel like, you know, when you do a series finale, the more, moments that you can harken back to the pilot and back to the first season, the more it, it just feels resonant. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a tricky thing. It's, we had, you know, tried to get Colin back uh, over the, you know, over the course of a several different seasons. Um, and, you know, some things are meant to be and some things are not, but uh, sure. he's, he's a real gentleman. Yes. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um. Uh, before we move on to talking about the crisis, uh, just one final note on on Arrow for me is uh, what in like its entire history of your involvement, what's your favorite personal memory uh, looking back on Arrow? Ooh, ooh, that's tough. Um, well, I think you know the answer would really depend upon which day you catch me. Um, <laughs> uh, my favorite personal moment, you know, I, okay, again, it's, it, it would totally change if you asked me this tomorrow, but. I remember we did in the middle of season one, we did WonderCon down in Anaheim. And 
it was just it was the first time I felt the love for the show. Um, you know, it's, it, by that point, you know, everyone had been talking about the show on Twitter and stuff, but to actually like meet the fans and, and, you know, hear them cheer, you know, uh, for various different things that we were talking about on that panel, that was just a really gratifying, lovely moment that, that made me, you know, sort of, uh, recognize that the show was, was resonating with people, um, that it was working for people. And, you know, and, and it's funny, it's like, you don't write a show for it to be a hit you don't write a show to be to have a big audience truth be told on network television you know you you want a big audience just because that's your best guarantee for subsequent seasons Mm -hmm. and you always want to do as many seasons as you can but there's something really really nice about uh, a fan base that is as passionate uh as arrows is um and uh that, that that moment just really encapsulated for me. That's that's an awesome personal moment. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Of course. Um, so let's just get right into the meat and the potatoes of the crossover. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the crisis on infinite earths. Um, re- I want to just ask you real quick, when did you know that you were going to be able to do a crisis? It was during the story breaking on Elseworlds. Um, Greg uh, had come, basically came into the room and it's, it's all of us, you know, all the showrunners uh, are meeting to discuss, you know, what Elseworlds uh, was going to be. And uh, he said, you know, basically it's, it's come down from on high that uh, we can do Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, you know, at that point, he said next year. Um, so it, it was, uh, it was great. We were, we were all blown away. We didn't, you know, we never expected that. Um, right. and it, uh, it allowed us to do something really special, which was to use one crossover to set up the next crossover and be able to have all the shows, uh, sort of tease it over the course of a season. That that's a, it's, it's always, it's very rare, particularly in network television to, have much lead time on something uh, and be able to lay that much track. Uh, that That's a really uh, rare set of circumstances when you can, uh, when you can do that sort of thing. Yeah. I imagine. Didn't you have a, there's an episode of Supergirl just before Elseworlds that introduces Barry Allen from earth 90 and you've yep. got Easter eggs of all other like heroes from the multiverse, like small, like Justin Hartley, uh, Green yep. Arrow, and then Leonard Snart from Earth X, and like all these different characters. That that was such a really cool moment to cue, kind of cue the audience in. It's like, hey, something's something's up, something's coming. Yeah, I'm trying to remember uh, where I, I'm trying to remember where that idea came from. I my recollection is. This this may be completely bogus at this point. Now it's two years, but my recollection is that originally that was going to be the cold open of Elseworlds. Oh, I see. And then, uh, and then, as we were working through the story, we kind of realized that that we were coming into the story a little too late. That we really needed, you know, to we needed to introduce Doctor Deegan, and we need to explain how he gets the Book of Destiny, and. Um, you know, and, and that just made for, you know, a more logical cold open, but we couldn't, uh, we couldn't shake just how cool it was Mm -hmm. to have all these dead heroes and, and flash 90 and and the mon and, you know, and the monitor. And, um, I, I remember saying like, well, why don't we, why don't we do like a post-credit tag? 
um, and actually do something we've never done, which is shoot the post-credit tag as part of Flash, because Flash is the show that does post-credit tags. Mm -hmm. um, but actually put that tag at the end of every single show, participating show uh, before Elseworlds airs. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and you'll see that was something that we repeated uh, with, uh, with, with Nash, um, getting, you know, uh, you know, started getting brainwashed by the antimatter, uh, in this year's, you know, the preceding episodes of this year's crossover. Right. Um, so, uh, it, it was just a, it was just a, a, a fun way to solve a story problem, uh, you know, allow us to do a moment that we were really attracted by while at the same time, um, honoring sort of what Flash has been doing since, season one which are these post credit tags yeah i get that seeing justin hartley's green arrow was a favorite of mine even if he was dead well you know i'll tell you you know justin is a is someone i've been trying to get on arrow for years and uh i i did send down the request could we borrow the costume and and they you know from archives and they they said yes but they said yes with a lot of uh with a lot of um you know, caveats, not the least of which is like, no one can wear it mm -hmm. and you can't get it dirty. So well, we put <laughs> on a dummy. So there, thereby we, we, you know, satisfied that loophole. Yeah. And as far as not getting it dirty, hopefully whoever at archives provided to us never actually saw that episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Good. Um, so, uh, I want to get this one out of the way right away. I'm a I'm I turned out to be a big fan of Krypton, uh, on Sci-Fi. So where would Cameron Cuff have fit if he could have been there? Um, we were going to actually have Cameron play a Kryptonian elder, um, you know, so that we could play a little fast and loose with con you know continuity if we had to. Mm -hmm. um, when Alora um, was you know basically grabbing. Uh, you know, Kal-El and Lois uh, on Argo to take them to the ship. We were going to have this Kryptonian elder um, essentially hologram in uh, with important information about the destruction of the, of the multiverse. Um, so that's, that stuff is actually, uh, that's written. Maybe um, I should, I should dig that out and post that to Twitter or something. Oh my That'd gosh. Cool. I would have loved that. I would have um, loved that, that so much. <laughs> Uh, obviously, like a lot of the a lot of the cameos were were you know just great fan favorite moments, and obviously you're a fan and the writers are fans, so I'm sure like a lot of this stuff was was geeking out. Um, is there? I know you've been asked this question a lot, but I wanted to ask maybe some of things jogging memory. Was there a cameo you didn't get that you kind of wish you did? Oh yeah, there were there were a lot. Um, there were a lot. You know, it's funny. I, I know like I've talked about Nick Cage, uh, but ever since I did that, I, I've since felt very bad because. You know, I, I don't, you know, I don't want anyone like let's let's call let's call him Person X. Mm -hmm. You know, if we went to Person X and Person X said no, um, I don't want Person X's Twitter feed blowing up with why didn't you play ball? Why didn't you participate in oh, crisis? You know, um, you know, everyone's got their reasons. And, um, you know, for some people, you know, they're they were legitimately busy for other people. They just had no desire for other people. Um, you know, they wanted more money than we had to spend. Um, you know, there's, there's a whole host of reasons, um, why, you know, various cameos didn't come into being. Um, and I, 
I just don't I don't see any good coming from going into specifics for why those various cameos didn't happen. That's you know? a good point. Yeah. Um, then, if you don't mind, can I can I just commend you on a, on one that did happen? Uh, I loved what you guys wrote for Kevin Conroy. You know, thank you. I you know that was I have to say I, I thought Don and Holly, uh, who wrote the Batwoman Hour, did an amazing job. Uh, you know, with that whole episode, and they did a, a great job writing for old Bruce. Um, and you know that was that was a, a, a that that was an idea that came about i really wanted uh you know i was like okay we can't do bruce wayne we know you know that's in our limitations but we could do a parallel earth Bruce Wayne. we could do like an old bruce wayne um and we were you know we were talking about that idea and it was kendo shimizu who's a huge batman uh particularly a, an animated batman fan who, who pitched out Kevin and the moment she said it, we all, we all were like, this has to happen. We need to make this happen. Yeah. Um, we didn't even care. I mean, we, we didn't even care whether or not Kevin would be a good actor. Yeah. You know, um, we, we actually did not know that he actually has a very extensive uh, acting background apart from voice acting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he's a very accomplished stage actor, uh, but we didn't know that at the time and we didn't care. Like it was just, we, we just, we just wanted him. Um, and it, it turned out to be both lucky and beneficial that uh, he happens to be a really, really, really good actor. Um, so that, that just came together in the most beautiful way possible. I'm sure I've rewatched that sequence quite a bit. It's my, it's my favorite. It's the highlight. It's a really me. nice one. Um, yeah. It's, it's definitely, I have to say that is definitely uh, one of the highlights for, for me as well. Uh, so there's obviously a really big one with Ezra Miller's Flash, and we've we've read that you got the call that you could do that, and that wasn't something that was originally planned until permission was given. Uh, were there necessarily thoughts of connecting anyone from the current DC films prior to that? Was that a discussion you were having, or, or was that not even considered on the board, and then you got that call? Um, it was, I would say it was, there were certain things that we knew we absolutely, that there were certain things that we knew were, were not touchable. Um, and the, uh, cinematic universe was, you know, before that call fell into that category. Um, you know, but the, you know, the, the nice thing, you know, about how doing something for eight years is, you're, you're there for sort of all the changes. Uh, you're there for the personnel changes and you're there for the, the philosophical changes and the changes in policy. And this just happened to be one of those situations where, um, you know, people change their minds. Um, and, uh, and I was so glad that they did, even though the, uh, the change of mind did come after we were wrapped on the whole crossover right um so it came very late uh but as they say better late than ever and and the implications are fantastical it's it's very awesome to have that oh uh we were thrilled i mean we were apt i mean you know i I did feel like the cinematic universe was the that was the one that got away that was the uh you know if, if you were to ask me you know Short of short of bringing Christopher Reeve back to life, um, what would you most want to do? I would have said include the cinematic universe. Um, And uh, I I still can't believe uh, that we were able to do that. Um, And the funny thing is, once we got the approval, um, it, it 
it, it came together easier than almost any other cameo. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Almost. I mean, certainly there there were cameos that were a lot harder to pull off. Right. Uh, that required a, lo- a lot more, you know, you know, scheduling creativity or, you know, financial creativity or or you logistical creativity, you name it. Um, and this this sort of all came together really nice. It was it was just it was a series of phone calls and some time at the keyboard writing a scene and bing, bang, boom, we just got it done. That's awesome. Uh, I had that moment spoiled for me for, on Twitter before I got to see the episode, and I was I was like, you know what? I'm not even mad. I can't wait to see that. <laughs> that was uh, I have to say that that was I was amazed. There was a lot of back and forth about whether or not we were going to keep it secret, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, I was amazed that it was able to surprise people. Um, because, you know, we, we live in a world where it's really, really, really hard to, you know, there's, there's cameras everywhere, uh, there's leaks everywhere, and it's really hard to genuinely surprise the audience. Oh, sure. sure. Yeah, you saw on uh, Grant Gustin's uh, on Instagram account that Melissa Benoist, Brandon Routh, Stephen Mel, they were all like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no one knew. I mean, nobody knew. Um, and, and in large part, uh, you know, it was because once the decision... And again, way above my head, uh, was made to keep it a secret. Everyone understood the importance of keeping it a secret. Like it, it was like, okay, this is no longer. We're not just. We're out of our TV bubble here. You know, this is this is now involving theatrical. This is involving like, you know, the the upper echelons of Warner Brothers. Um, you know, we can't we can't let this. If, if the powers that be have decided. Uh, that this is to be a surprise that we have got to move heaven and earth to make sure it's a surprise. Sure. sure. Uh, I think I think you were definitely helped in that situation by the fact that uh, fans of the show would think once the crossover was announced, we were we knew we were getting all these cameos. Everyone assumes that like you know Smallville's an obvious grab. Not to say that that was like easy for you yeah. guys to coordinate, but it's it's an obvious pick, and everybody's already doing the same thing that you're saying, which is just assuming yes. that the cinematic films are untouchable. So the moment that it comes well, up, it's like oh my gosh, I didn't even think this was on the table. Well, exactly, and 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 also, I think most people, the people who care, knew that the that the event was wrapped. Mm-hmm. So, if Ezra Miller were to show up in the Vancouver airport where a lot of paparazzi hang out, you know, several months later, which is what happened, mm-hmm. um, you know, no one was going to bat an eye. And it turns out, no one even got pictures of him walking through the Vancouver airport, which I have to say was a small miracle. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so obviously there's lots of incredible cameos. Were there any cameos that you wish you could have expanded into larger roles that, you know, they show up for a scene or two? Oh um, God. That you kind of wish all they could have been all of them. <laughs> all of them. All of them. Um, you know, I, you know, here's the thing. There's, there's a variety of different limitations that, that come about with these cameos. Probably the biggest one is financial. Sure. Um, and the way we were able to make these cameos fiscally appealing to a lot of the participants was by, by basically saying, you'll only have to be in one scene or you'll only have to do a day's worth of shooting. Sure. Um, and because look, left to my own devices, in, in a perfect world, if I had, if I had unlimited amounts of money, um, <laughs> it, it basically everyone at the end uh, of of the event would have come back to to participate in the final battle. 
Like, you know, oh, if yeah. I had all the money in the world, but, but that, you know, that was just fiscally, you know, beyond our ten. Um, and, and, you know, I know that, you know, so there'll be someone on Twitter who listens to this and go, well, why didn't you earmark money for that and work backwards from there? And I would say, you don't understand the way television is written. <laughs> um, you know, uh, believe me, if there was, we, we have, over over the last eight years, the life of the Arrowverse, we have figured out how to stretch a dollar farther than anyone, you know, else in the business. I, I truly believe that. And if there's something that we haven't been able to afford, I, I can tell you it's because it's not affordable. Right. Mm-hmm. That makes not sense. our budget. Not our budget anyway. Yeah. That right. Makes sense. I, I, I think that there does become a certain point where like, you know, fans can get greedy with, uh you know, just the wealth that's able to come out of the Arrowverse. And, you, you know, they kind of forget that uh, maybe six years ago, this this all would have sounded insane. Uh, just what a we have, ago. let alone, yeah, yeah oh my let, God. let alone asking I, for I more. actually would have told you a year ago it was insane. Right, exactly. Um, uh, because I, I will tell you, like, you know, we we had this long list of potential cameos and cross, you know, crossovers and whatnot, guest stars, and the number of characters that we were able to incorporate into this far exceeded my most optimistic estimates. Mm, yeah, bad. I, it's, um, it, it's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, uh, I, I was kind of blown away by, you know, uh, quite frankly, a lot of it was a lot of it was hard work um, on the part of, you know, an army of people. Um, but uh, there was a certain amount of luck involved, too. Um, and kind of like I said, with Oliver's funeral, um, you know, a lot of people helping out for the love of the game. Oh, sure. Right. Yes, absolutely. I can I can imagine that. Um, uh I did. I did want to spotlight on uh, the Smallville moment where we have uh, Clark uh, there without his powers, and some fans have uh, pointed out that they're wondering if he's wearing the the gold K ring from the tenth season of Smallville. I've seen this. Yeah. Uh, that that it, was this discussed at all in the writing that 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 would be why he doesn't have his powers. Also, kind of implying that his temp, his loss of power is temporary. Uh. Well, that's a. Good question. Um, I will say we, we, we also discussed um, a nod to Believe It or Not Superman 2. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Um, so, you know, and I, I would, because it wasn't it wasn't relevant to the, the story that we were telling in terms of getting into the specifics of it. And there are certain things, I believe, that are, are best left for the fans to discuss and debate. Um, I don't believe in, you know, giving the fans the entire picture all the time um but uh the the idea that that clark would give up his powers in order to have this kind of life um that really resonated with all of us um and i think it really resonated with tom um and it just you know it it just uh it, it makes sense and also by the way i think um you know, it also differentiates Clark's journey from uh, Tyler Superman's journey. Sure. Um, you know, who we, we knew that, you know, because we'd established this last year, um, we knew that um, that uh, that, you know, Lois was pregnant at the end of Elseworlds. Um, we knew we were going to be, re- you know, showing the baby uh, here in uh, crisis that it, it you know, it allowed 
super Smallville relation, the Smallville relationship between Lois and Clark and the Arrowverse relationship between Lois and Clark to be different. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I think there's value in that. Um, I totally recognize, by the way, look, I, I completely understand what it's like to be a longtime fan of a show and sort of see like that character return in like a reunion movie or in a spinoff or something and go, wow, that's not that's not what I had wanted their trajectory to be or that's not the way I want to see them. Um, I, I understand, like, you know, uh, that that this is potentially a a kind of moment that could be disappointing to fans. Um, you know, that's, I think, you know, that that's sort of the, the risk I run as a fan every time I, you know, watch a sequel, mm-hmm. um, you know, or, or revisit a character. But uh, I, you know, I, I do think that um, it was, you know, it, 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 it we can't, it, it, res- it resonated for us as writers um, and, and, you know, you know, Don and Holly and Caroline are all, you know, people who worked on Smallville uh, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very familiar with the show and familiar with those characters. And I think, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, we we try to we try to decide what is most resonant for the characters and, you know, not necessarily what is going to be the most satisfying thing for the fans. Uh, I I think that that's that's exactly right. I uh I was a huge fan of Smallville, and um I think that I never went into this expecting that we were gonna. I wasn't someone expecting that we were gonna see Clark suited up. I wasn't expecting yeah. to see him in the cape with the S and everything. And and mm-hmm. I think that 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 what you did ties in so well with what the the message of the show always was, which was you know it was very much a story about Clark Kent on his yes. on his way to becoming Superman and the adventures of him actually being in the cape are left to your imagination. And this still keeps that spirit and and does feel true to that character. Well, what, well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. That, it's one. By the way, it's one of the reasons why it was so important for us to to show you those uh, Daily Planet articles that Lois wrote. Uh, we oh. we very much wanted to, you know, we, we wanted to tell the audience that, you know, the promise of Smallville was he's going to become Superman. Um, we 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 wanted to make it very clear that 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 did happen, you know, mm-hmm. um, that that he did become Superman. That he did have you know all these adventures, uh, but they are left to your imagination. Right, and and I think that that really showed in the characters' dialogue and in the you know it still felt true to that character. I still saw the same Clark Kent in his banter with uh, Luther when he oh, shows up. Yeah. I I have to say I I think you know Tom's performance was pitch perfect um the way he the way he like just even you know waits a pause the, the slightest pause be, before saying my powers um you know like he knows it's a big reveal and just like you know oh I'm still stronger just the the little whimsy there um oh, i just I, I i i remember watching the dailies just like jumping out of my chair, uh, <laughs> I was I was I was like vibrating with excitement. Well, I was gonna I was gonna say if you read the Smallville season eleven comics, I think that they yes. that it, it feels very much like you know at the end of that book it would feel like Clark would be like there's plenty of heroes that can defend Earth without me. Mm. 
that, and, so, and and that was also part of our the math that we were doing because we were, you know, I'm a, as people know, I'm a huge sucker for comic book tie-ins. Sure. Uh, and we wanted to make sure that we were, you know, acknowledging those uh, comics as canon, much the same way we try to uh, make sure that all of the Arrowverse tie-in comics are are canon. Yeah. Um, while we're on Smallville, I wanted to ask about the decision of choosing what Earth designations there were going to be. Um, I can imagine ah. there was some thought into this one. The one that puzzles me, and we can't quite figure it out, what Smallville's Earth is Earth's 167. Uh, what yes. is, is that a reference to anything like the other ones are? It is. It's, but it's a, it's, we, we deviated from our, our naming methodology. For the most part, we, we at least as a starting off point, uh, named the, the Earth after the year that the property debuted. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like, Flash 90 is a reference to 1990, the year of the Flash television show. Earth 89, um, Batman 89. Yes. Uh, with, with respect to Smallville, um, it was decision... I forget why we didn't use Smallville's premiere year. We might have been using it for something else. Um, but Don suggested 167, which I believe is a nod. I'm probably going to butcher this. Um, I believe it's a nod to Al Goff's birth year. Who's hmm. Al Goth? Uh, he's the co-creator of Smallville. Oh, interesting. I feel bad for not knowing that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah it's, I was, uh, that was the, you know, uh, that was the rationale. Oh, I see. And like, like Brandon Routh's Earth with Earth was Earth ninety six, a reference to Kingdom Come, right? Uh, correct. Uh, and um, you know, and the uh, you know, originally it was going to be Earth twelve, which would have been uh, a nod towards. Uh, Superman Returns, I believe. No, that's a different Earth. Yeah, um, yeah originally it was going to be Superman Returns, and then we changed it to Kingdom Come. Um, but that's that's exactly yeah. It's not. I have to say, once once you sort of know the code, it's really easy to. to crack. Yeah, no, that that's the one that was that was kind of uh, that was that was trying to f- uh, rattling in my brain because of the naming conventions of the year they they debuted. Uh, I mean, except for like Earth X, which is the Nazi world. Yeah. Of course, of yeah. course, yes. Um, we, have to, we have to stick with what we've established. So then, then you know, at the end, you designate new Earths. Um, one of them that we see at the very end is Earth 12, which is Green Lantern. That's your Green Lantern movie. Yes, it is. That's very fascinating. What was the decision to, to do so that? By the way, that's... Uh, Oh, that was well. That was my decision. I was, was like, I'm gonna get Green Lantern in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and so you just pulled the footage, or was it like specifically like I want it to be my Green Lantern movie? Uh, well, there's only one Green Lantern movie, so um, it, it it just you know it it, it seemed just uh, obvious uh, to me, um, you know, to to do that. Uh, <laughs> I just I just had to because you know Greg Berlanti and I we we co-wrote the movie and. Uh, you know, for better or for worse. Um, and we, uh, I just, I just wanted to, it, it's such a, to me, the experience of doing Green Lantern uh, actually has, uh, you know, a, a huge, it's a huge connective tissue with Arrow. Uh, we wouldn't have done Arrow, we, we wouldn't have done Arrow, but for Green Lantern. And we right. almost did do Arrow because of Green Lantern. Sure. So, um, you know, it, it looms large and, uh it uh it tickled me <laughs> i i uh it just made me it made me happy yeah i'll bet 
uh, it made, made me kind of excited to see it. I'm a huge Green Lantern fan. Uh, and I was like, oh, dang. Um, but there was other Earths. Don't just keep bouncing off of this Earth idea. There were other Earths um, introduced at the end of the crossover. Um, one Earth, Earth 96, was one that we already knew about. Um, the decision to introduce a new multiverse uh, with new Earth designations, such as a new Earth 2, which is the Stargirl TV series. Where did that decision come from? Um, and what, and how did that evolve? That uh, that was there from the very beginning, um, and, and that's because that that was the promise that uh, I made to all the powers that be uh, when we were pitching this. I said, "Look, if you give us access to the toys, I promise we will return the toys to the toy chest." Um, you know, like so for example, like you know, it would be a dick move to destroy Titans. Sure. <laughs> and not restore Titans, you know, that, right. that show still exists. Uh, so it, it was, it was the, you know, it, it was the only way, I mean, look, narratively speaking, I'll, I'll be totally straight with you. Narratively speaking, it, it would be cleaner if we just ended up with, you know, a single universe. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would have meant, you know, that a variety of the different uh, universes that I wanted to visit in the space of the crossover uh we couldn't you know we wouldn't be allowed to use um so um i thought this was a you know this this was a um you know a a good compromise particularly since you know as we know from the original comic book even though uh you know the original crisis comic ended with a single universe we know that that didn't last very long Right. right um and uh you know, I'm like, well, why don't, you know, why don't we just jump to the chase? You know, why, why not, you know, say there's, you know, there's still a multiverse. Um, our, our verse characters don't know about it. Right. Uh, so there's still some story to tell there. Um, you know, we'll have combined uh, various Earths, um, you know, like like Supergirl's Earth and Black Lightning's Earth, uh, you know, onto you know, Earth One, so that, you know, there's a consequence for the Arrowverse, mm-hmm. uh, while at the same time, you know, restoring the various universes that we quote-unquote borrowed. Right. And so that would imply that Earth X, Earth, whatever Birds of Prey's Earth, and Earth 167, those would still be around, theoretically, at the end of this. Uh, correct. They may have different designations. Um, you know, they may have different histories. Uh, we know just from what happened to Earth Prime that, you know, various people came back to life. Yeah. Uh, Lex Luthor became a good guy. Um, you know, so there's, there's, you know, and I'm always, I will always err on the side of what gives us more stories to tell. Sure. Right. Uh, speaking on the DC universe stuff real quick, what was there much of a, a discussion about trying to bridge too much with those shows or was it kind of just, let's get these, these scenes to acknowledge them. And also piggybacking off what Brandon said, like the, the earth designations. Cause a lot of fans went, Oh wait, Doom Patrol and Titans aren't the same Earth. Yeah. Uh, well, I think yeah, it's a, it's a fair question. Um, you know, you, you have to understand a, a lot of the other shows they've you know they've been launched um, with sort of the expectation that they would never have to participate in the CW uh, crossover. You know uh, that that's a, that were there were creative assurances, there were assurances that made to actors. Um, you know. Uh, so, and I think, you know, it's a delicate balance between sort of doing, uh, this as, 
it is an Arrowverse event. It's an it's it's done on the Arrowverse shows, and in when we were breaking the story, we were always trying to find the right balance between okay, well, how many non-Arrowverse characters should we bring into this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you know, and and making sure that. Uh, you know, the, the cart didn't drag the horse uh, or, or the Arrowverse characters and their shows weren't co-opted by characters that, uh, quite frankly, viewers who don't watch those other shows wouldn't know and understand. Of course. Um, so, you know, plus which logistical things, too, like, you know, you've got, you know, shows like Titans uh, and Doom Patrol shooting in Atlanta. I'm sorry, sorry Titans shoots in Toronto uh doom patrol shoots in atlanta these are uh this is not next door mm-hmm. to um to vancouver uh where we're shooting um you know so there's you know and, and we had plenty of logistical challenges uh you know as it was of course thanks for giving swamp things some love though yeah appreciate uh that. very yeah that was that that was a really important uh inclusion for me i really wanted um you know I, what i re- i did really want uh I did want Swamp Thing to be a big part of of the crossover because I I really if you've got Constantine to not have Constantine and Swamp Thing together uh, is a missed opportunity. Um, I'll just say that for a variety of different reasons, sure. uh, I couldn't make that happen. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Constantine makes a reference to his show with the Spectre, which was kind of cool. Um, yes, and, and should be told, I you know I would have loved to have had you know there Jim Corrigan. Um, you know, there, there's just like I said, there's a, a variety of different, you know, things that sort of fell through the cracks in terms of money and, uh, you know, opportunities that were impossible because of logistics. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I think we're about ready to wrap up. Do you have? A- oh, no, uh, I uh, uh, can we. So I, I know you've already talked about it a bit in interviews, but uh, just uh, the the challenges in writing uh a, a a narrative that was uh we we knew going into it was was largely going to be about as as you've talked about Oliver dying and so you kill him in the first episode how what were the a lot of the how many drafts did you have to go through essentially to uh find the right way to keep the heart of the story beating while knowing you were killing Oliver in the first episode to keep him around for the remaining episodes to get up to that that point where he faces the anti-monitor and if i may real quickly bounce off of that what was the decision to make him the specter uh good question uh all good questions well i would say in terms of drafts um i i basically like went in to the first day of, of breaking story with the showrunners uh, with with the plan of killing Oliver off in hour one and uh, bringing him back as the specter uh, in in hour four and him dying, uh, restarting the universe at the end of hour four. Um, so that was always basically baked into the plan. How long did it come take to come up with that? Um, you know, like somewhere between 10 seconds and, and a full year um, because... <laughs> It's something, like I said, it's kind of like the Arrow finale. It's something I've just been thinking about, um, you know, for, you know, I, I had a year to think about this and, and sort of solve this problem. Um, and um, the the specter came about, uh, you know, it, really the same way the decision to kill off Oliver in Hour One came about, which is I, I realized that the end of Elseworlds, and certainly the end of Arrow season seven spoiled the fact that Oliver was going to die in crisis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 
all of this was driven by the very simple math of it's not a surprise that Oliver dies. So the only way there's a surprise is the time and manner in which he dies. Um, and, you know, you sort of, you take that, you combine it with the fact that our four um, was always meant to be kind of a, uh, you know, a, a, an homage to, uh, the end of issue 10 of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yes, I see. You know, the, the specter looms so large in that. Like, once, once you sort of, like, connect our four up with issue 10, the specter is, like, he's right there on the cover, you know? Right. Um, and, and it's feeding into this idea that, you know, again, how do we surprise the audience? Um, and... You know, the thing that I like about the Spectre, apart from just fidelity of the comic book, is it gives you it, it, it gives you a, a slight opening to be like, well, there's there's death, there's life, and then there's this third option. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm I'm intrigued by it. And and to be told, like, you know, you know, people have asked me like, is Oliver still alive? Is Oliver still the Spectre? Um, you know, and kind of like, you know, I was saying with, uh, you know, with why Clark doesn't have his powers, uh, Smallville Clark doesn't have his powers in hour two. It's, you know, there are some things that you leave for the audience to debate and there are some things you leave for future stories, um, you know, by by providing the entire story um, all at once, you foreclose uh, different narrative, you know, opportunities. Um, and it just, you know, I, I, you know, at the end of the day, it's like you, you can do all this math and you can, you know, think about all these things and you write down all these notes and all these different options and possibilities. But at the end of the day, I think all anyone can ever do is just go with what feels right. And, you know, Oliver dying as the specter, um, that just felt right. Right. And it's a reference to a, to a Jeff Johns comic, which you've worked with Jeff Johns before, so I imagine there was some crossover there, correct? Um, you know, it's funny. I, 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 it's funny. I, I didn't discuss it with Jeff. Sure. Um, uh, but I will tell you, I, I sent Jeff, uh, basically we wrote up, you know, a, a whole synopsis of the, of the crossover to share with the studio network after we pitched it. And I sent the copy to Jeff. And the, the only note Jeff had was, how are you going to pull off the specter? <laughs> um, you know, and uh, like that's that's a very fair question. And the truth is, we did go through many, many, many rounds of, uh, of of costume design and conceptual art to land on, you know, the Arrowverse version of, of the specter. That makes sense. And, and even more specifically, I think it tie it, it ultimately ends up looking so good because it's like Oliver's version of the Spectre, which I think is That's, it, yes. It's it's very thematically funny when you think about where Arrow started, and and you wouldn't call him the Green Arrow or or the Arrow or anything when he started. He was the Hood, right. which is arguably yes, a more iconic feature of the Spectre. And I know when you started, you weren't thinking he's going to become the Spectre, but no, it's yeah, very never, funny that that played off years. that way. It, it really, that's what I mean by it sort of takes us, you know, sort of full circle in our conversation. But it's like, again, it's, it's having the, the flexibility and the confidence to 
you know, to go, okay, you know, we didn't have this plan, but we're going to, we're going to go in this other direction because we just like this idea more. Um, and, uh, it, it felt, it felt right. Um, it just, it, that thing is, and that's really, I, I, I wish writing was more scientific than that, but <laughs> anyone who tells you, anyone who insists that it is, is lying. Sure. So, uh, so I know that, uh, you you talked about that you ultimately cut Psycho Pirate because he, yes. he just didn't fit anymore. Uh, how how long and how close to you know the final product was it where it, it got to the point you know we just got to cut him out because I I think uh, I think a lot of people are just in myself included were a little sad that the Psycho Pirate was not a part of it. I can understand why. I know that there's yeah. so much going oh, on yeah. here and so much that you already have to like give up for uh but i was just curious like how far did he make it along in the process i i, I wish i could say he he made it to the draft stage um and, well that's not true he did make it to the draft stage uh, uh for the most part he he ended up uh like just he could never make it off the whiteboard we had like stories and moments and scenes and everything in between with him in it but it, it honestly it, it, every single time we talked about him. It felt forced. It felt like we're doing this only because he's in the comic. Mm, sure. Which, which, unfortunately, by the way, it's just you know, it's just not. It's not uh, a that that can't be the reason we include anybody. Certainly. Like, you know, um, and that's what it felt like. Um, and we did have, we managed to work in a cameo for him, um, that felt pretty legitimate. Like it's all like, okay, this is good. This works. This, this is satisfying. Um, but it was part of a larger story beat and that story beat ended up going away, um, for a variety of different lengths and production reasons and a whole host of things. It basically like that story beat was, was us going down a certain rabbit hole that we just didn't have the story time, the screen time to go down. Mm -hmm. um, so unfortunately, uh, that had to, you know, that, that had to go. Um, you know, so it's, yeah, it's just one of those things like, it's funny. And, you know, I look back on eight years of Arrow and, and, you know, there, there, you know, there have been, you know, a lot of times where we'll be like, oh, this character is going to come back or we're going to have this moment. And, you know, a lot of times these things sort of fall out because they're meant to fall out. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're not, you know, if the, the downside of not being precious about stuff and the downside of, of being flexible is it, it means that sometimes stuff just doesn't happen. Um, and you got to go, okay, well, this is, you know, th there's a reason why. You know, yeah, right. uh, and you've got to you got to trust the reason, even if you don't always know uh, what what it is. You know what that reason is exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've only got one more question, and I know Sparks has sure. got one more as well. Um, you worked on a comic book tie-in for this crossover for the Walmart yes. 100 Page Giants. Um, I read the first one, and I wanted to know. And you also worked with him for Arrow. What was it like working with Marv Wolfman? <sighs> Such a joy. I, I got to tell you, like, what a pleasure. Um, first of all, Marv is just the nicest guy in the world. Right. He and I became friends several years ago at, at uh, San Diego Comic-Con. And, um, you know, it, it was really flexible. I think, you know, I, I think kind of instinctively the way we ended up working was when we collaborated on the episode of Arrow, he let me take the lead because um, 
uh, I, you know, I'm the more experienced guy in television. Um, when we did the comic book tie-in, he took the lead because he's the more experienced guy in comics. Um, and we, we ended up working plot first on the comic book tie-in, which means that basically Marv would write a plot uh, and the artist would then draw it. Uh, and then in the case of the main tie-in story, Marv scripted. In the case of the Superman story, I scripted it. Mm -hmm. um, and then we just sort of, we would go back and forth and sort of work together just to make sure that everything was sort of lining up continuity-wise and, and whatnot. Um, but it was it was just so much fun. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's look, I'm a fanboy at heart, and it's a weird thing to have to constantly remind yourself to be professional. <laughs> Um, right. and to not be starstruck, um, just like, okay, we do have a job to do and, and I got to do it. Um, you know, but, uh, what, what, a what a fun, uh, what a, uh, a fun opportunity is just to have a front row seat to the way Marvel's mind works. Oh, but I really liked the comic, by the way, I didn't get to read the second oh, issue cause they, they sold out, but, um, the first issue was a lot of fun with the, you know, what was his name? Outcast, the. Outcast, yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, that some was cool stuff. And that that was character. That was Marv's idea. Um, I, you know, I I had had I, I had had an idea. I sort of came to Marv with like, okay, this is what I think the story could be based upon the live action story. And I had another character who is who is sort of a minion of the anti monitors. Um, and and about him, he just I was like, I need I need someone to do the anti monitors bidding, and it was Marv who came up with the idea of, um, you know, of uh, basically the antimatter version of Pariah, mm -hmm. uh, which makes total sense and is, is complete, you know, uh, is quite frankly, it's, it's, you know, it, it's something I should have thought of, but of course never did. Um, and uh, I, I love that character. I think he ended up working really well. And Marv wrote him with, you know, as Marv does a lot of panache. Yeah. And he got to use the Ray, which I, I, I imagine was really cool. Uh, I was, he was on my list. Um, you know, I, I wish I wish we had more pages. I wish I was able to bring in, you know, even more characters. I would have loved to get the Huntress in there. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but uh, it, I was I was I was very happy with the finished product. And uh, we're in the process of putting together the uh, the trade paperback, which I think will be actually be a hardcover first. Um, I've and, already pre ordered. Uh, oh, cool. And I, I wrote a I wrote up a piece that sort of explains how it fits in continuity wise. Oh, cool. Um, which uh, was a fun little exercise because uh, the, the, you know, getting all the pieces to line up uh, in terms of continuity was uh, not easy. I imagine. Certainly, certainly. Um, so now that uh, the whole crisis is behind you, what, what would be the first thing at the top of your list that, that you would have, you know, uh, altered or included or, or maybe changed some way. And I, and I do mean like, on a on a practical level, not not one of those things that was like the the pipe dream and there was no way because of budget or logistics or scheduling, but like the things that were were more tangible but maybe had to be be left on the cutting room floor. Um, uh, the the revisitation of of future Oliver. Um, we were trying to do something there uh, in terms of like having our cake and eating it too, and 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 playing with this idea that that Oliver sort of lost his marbles a little bit. And I, I think we were too clever by half. Uh, this is my fault. I was, you know, this, this is completely a thousand percent my fault. Um, you know, I was too clever by half. And um, if I could, if I could have any series of scenes back to rewrite or reshoot, it would, it would be those scenes. 
Um, and I would have, I would have done them differently and, and been, you know, I think, uh, quite frankly, a little less ambitious story wise and just a little cleaner as a result of it. Um, you know, and, and yes, in terms, and like I said, sort of in terms of this might fall into the pipe dream category, it does, but like in terms of having all the money in the world, I would have loved to have had, you know, more cameos and, oh, sure. um, you know, surprises at the end. But, uh, you know, I would say, you know, when I look at the whole thing, if there's any, if there's any at bat, I, I would love to have back. It, it would have been just not doing old Oliver, but, but the way we did it, um, you know, in the story we were telling with him and his mental state. Um, I think, uh, I think we were trying to, I was trying to be a little too clever by half. Got you. That's a, that's a very interesting and honest answer. Thanks for that. Um, that, that actually, uh, brought to mind, I did mean to ask you how difficult was it in the, in the fourth part, uh, creating that moment that's, that's happening where, uh, uh, Barry's hunting people through the speed force, but they're all, uh, being connected through important moments in their history that are related to Oliver, but Kate doesn't have that. Uh, so you kind of created that moment. How, how difficult was that? How many drafts did that have to go through? Um, you know, it's funny again, not too many drafts. It did take a lot of time to think of it. Um, because, uh, in part because, um, I, uh, I, I, I basically had a different moment for Kate in mind. Uh, but then I remembered that Brandon, uh, Ralph had to contractually be in hour four. Um, so, uh, that moment went away and I put in the moment from, I think it was hour 318, uh, which is one of my favorite episodes. Um, so it was like, it, it was a, it was a great, you know, uh, it was a great example. It was a great example of taking, you know, an opportunity, uh, out of something because, um, I, a, I love that episode of, of Arrow and B, um, I loved reminding the audience that Brandon Routh first was on Arrow mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. has a history with Oliver Queen. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, originally that was going to be a moment where uh, it was going to be a re- revisitation of Arrow 617 or 616 uh, when Diggle and Oliver are having the fight in the bunker. Um, originally, you know, she was going to come in watching Oliver and Diggle in the middle of this, you know, fist fight and have to break it up. Oh, um, okay. But uh, which would have been cool too. Um, but uh, I, you know, you know, I, I do think uh, it, it we ended up with the cooler version with, you know, revisiting uh, Ray Palmer and uh, particularly since both in the original episode and in the, the reimagination of it, uh, both Brandon and Steven were just so great together. That's true. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. Um, just uh, on the concept of like, you know, this was such a big crossover and I do think that, uh, you know, knowing all the limitations, knowing how, how challenging and, and crazy it all is, uh, I think you delivered an excellent uh, crossover event. Oh, thank you. So uh, has there been, just once that was passing, has there been discussion about not going, not trying to top it, not trying to go bigger, but, oh, but going yeah. smaller? A- absolutely. Uh, in fact, those conversations were had, you know, within weeks of us delivering the cuts. Um, and and it, I didn't have to like, you know, it's like Mark Pedowitz and I, we go way back. We've known each other for 15 years and he likes to, he likes to tease me. He likes to, in the middle of the crossover, he, he likes to ask uh, what next year's crossover is going to be. Uh, because every year we're like, this is the last crossover. We're never doing this. And he, you know, in fact, to the point where, 
um, when I was pitching, you know, crisis, uh, I like to needle him back and I would say like, and since this is the very last time we ever do one, this crossover. <laughs> um, but he and I, we, we had a, you know, an honest conversation shortly after we wrapped production where, you know, I acknowledged that of course we're going to do a crossover. Uh, but he acknowledged that of course it can't be, uh, it can't be this big because, um, there, there is no topping it. And, um, there's no point in trying, uh, because we will only disappoint ourselves and more importantly, we'll disappoint the fans. Sure. So, um, we, we discussed a variety of different things. Um, and, uh, I can, I can just tell you that, you know, we, we, we when was this, this is like about a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago, we had a big meeting as we always do with the studio and the network. And we, we basically laid out sort of what the game plan is for next season's crossover. Um, and sort of how, you know, you know, how we're going to do things, uh, and, and some creative ideas as well. So, um, you know, we, you know, I, I always say it's not fair to compare, um, you know, crisis to end game because we're operating with end games, uh, catering budget um but um but uh you know they didn't follow up endgame with endgame 2 they followed endgame up with spider-man close to home and black widow um you know so i think you know re returning the crossover to uh a manageable size uh just telling uh you know just a good old-fashioned crossover story um is you know kind of what the doctor ordered right. um and you know and then if we ever do something this big again uh building up to it sure you know i, I think i think part of it here's the thing i i think there's a lot of things that i think you know made crisis on infinite earth satisfying for people but the thing that people don't talk about is i think one of the most important things which is it was the fact that it was the culmination of eight years of world building. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we didn't, we didn't do this, you know, first time out of the gate. This was, this was five hours and six shows um, that, you know, didn't all come into being all at once. Those six shows are the product of eight years. And, um, you know, I'm not saying we have to wait another eight years, but I think one of the reasons why Crisis was so satisfying was you did get a chance to watch the the building blocks get you know put into place. Sure, uh, I absolutely agree, and and not only that, but I think uh, a lot of the shows, uh, specifically uh, Supergirl, Flash, Arrow, all carried such a, a great amount of weight this season to make Crisis feel. Uh, resonant by the time we got there because they're all like laying the groundwork on their way up and i thought all, exactly. all of the teams did that really well yeah i thought so too i mean i you know i really i give you know enormous amount of credit to the showrunners who you know uh are not just wonderful people they're incredibly talented they all you know came to this project with such verve and gusto and enthusiasm and and really a desire to you know, to, to do the best, you know, event that we, that we could afford. Um, you know, our limitations were always time and money. Um, you know, uh, but apart from that, everybody, you know, everybody gave their all and then some, um, you know, this is a, this is a big undertaking under normal circumstances, but to do it in the middle of your season, 
um, when you're doing 22 episodes a season, uh, that's really, really hard. Um, and uh, I give them uh, a lot of credit for, uh, you know, pulling it off. Sure, sure, and 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 uh, also just speaking on those, uh, I'm glad to hear that that there is talk of uh, you know not trying to top yourselves and everything. I'm really glad oh, to God. hear that. No. Uh, but uh, definitely something that that like dawned on me the moment that that crisis was ending is I'm like, okay, there's got to be a personal crossover between Barry Allen and uh, and Black Lightning because the chemistry I, between those two was incredible. I, I think uh, I I come without without telling you what's going to happen or not going to happen, I completely agree with you. They were phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. The- I, I really think coming out of the crossover, the two relationships that I think really popped on the screen were Black Lightning and Flash and Supergirl and Batwoman. Uh, I 100% um, agree. And, and, and those two relationships, you know, those were sort of great proof of concept that Arrow may be over, Oliver Queen may be, you know, gone from this universe, but there are still relationships um that are worthy uh of of exploration um and i think that's you know that's really great that's really what the future is all about yeah yeah i i'm i've really loved black lightning so seeing him come into that crossover and uh the moment in part three where he's giving his uh speech you know uh whose whose future is it uh yeah that that was exceptional just exceptional yeah well i i gotta say you know the you know uh salima keel McGee and, and Charles Holland, they all from the Black Lightning team, you know, they, they embraced this in such a great way. They helped us move heaven and earth, um, you know, because, you know, remember, uh, Black Lightning doesn't shoot uh, in Vancouver. It shoots 3,000 miles away in a whole other country. Right. Um, and just just to even get Crest and his suit, which is a whole other production to Vancouver um much less making him available for the amount of time uh, that we had him for, um, for, you know, suggestions like him giving his iconic speech in that critical moment. Uh, all, all these things that only people involved with the show could do um, really, 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 I think, made all the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, I mean, there are many things in this crossover that I just kind of, you know, I loved Brandon Rath as Superman, uh, seeing uh, Earth 90s Flash uh, die with the flashback to his episodes, um, all really just like tug at the heart, uh, tug at the heartstrings. Um, I think I speak for Sparks and myself, but I'm just thank you for giving Brandon Routh the opportunity to play Superman again. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I actually it, it, the thanks goes to Brandon for, you know, being Superman again. Yeah. Um, you know, that was. Uh, you know, definitely, again, I, I don't want to pick, it's hard for me to pick highlights because there are just so many, you know, right. so many things that I'm thrilled about as a fan, but I mean, watching Brandon be, be Superman, especially at the end, like, you know, when, he, when we're going around the horn and he's, he's back in the, you know, the, the, the yellow and red, uh, glyphs mm-hmm. on his chest. Yes. Um, I, I, you know, to, to, with the John Williams theme, I I was like, you know what? I I could walk away right now and be very satisfied. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, we've taken up so much of your time already, and we really appreciate it. Well, it was fun, guys. I appreciate um, it. I just want to ask, like, what's next for you? Like, what what what? I'm not going to be bold enough and ask you what the next crossover is, but like, what's <laughs> next? Like, personally, what are you what are you working on? What's what's coming down the pipeline? That's a really good question. Um, uh, I'm figuring that out now. Basically, right now, I'm working on... I've got two movies uh, that are open on my laptop that I'm working on. Uh, and I've got 
uh, two creator-owned comic projects uh, that I'm working on. One of my New Year's resolutions was to uh, make a, a push back into creator-owned comic books um, okay. because I realized I really, really missed it. Um, and yeah, then there's God. Then there's a whole bunch of other stuff. I'm not. It's very. Uh, it's a little frustrating because right now um, everything that's on my plate uh is is stuff that no one knows about oh, I mean, sure. stuff that i and some of it's stuff i can't talk about like some of it's like uh there's one project in particular that's super top secret that they would kill me if i were to <laughs> I, I live in you know it has like the project has a code name and everything and i'm always living in in uh definitely fear of of it slipping particularly slipping in an interview god forbid um <laughs> but uh it's uh it's fun and i will say like with the whole you know coronavirus and everything um it's it's good that my work uh is all you know sort of in stuff that i can do out of my house at the moment sure. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. that's kind of kind of nice right um i just want to say i'm really excited for wizards i know you you're, you've worked Thank on troll you. hunters tales of arcadia so uh, i'm super stoked for that i i'm really really excited about that one um we uh all the animations finished uh it's ready and raring to go it's coming out this summer um and it looks incredible um i just saw they've cut together a trailer uh that i imagine will be making its way out into the universe pretty soon and it is it just shows you that it's like it it, it really is it makes the animation so next level it makes troll hunters look small by comparison and i think oh, wow. it's uh it, it's got sort of all the humor and fun of three below with uh, a lot of the characters and moments that you love from Troll Hunters, so it's if you if you like Three Below or Troll Hunters, it's really the show for you. It it's, yeah. it really um, speaks to both audiences. My my girlfriend and I are big fans. We can't wait. Oh, thanks, thanks. Um, well, I I hope you like it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I guess uh, at the end of every at, every time we have a guest on, we've started doing this tradition where we ask them to say our our sign off, which is stay fake nerds. Uh, if you okay. don't if you don't mind, could you sign us off? Uh, sure. Stay fake, nerds. <laughs>